Hey friends, and welcome back to Candidly Speaking. I am your host, Carrie, and I am so excited for you to be here today for today's interview episode. I know you're going to love my guest for today, so let me get into telling you all about her. Today's guest is the very talented Katrina Kuss. Katrina is a producer for the Hallmark Channel and a creative living in sunny Los Angeles, California. Katrina's roots started in the Midwest, growing up in Omaha, Nebraska. She actually went to school with my husband, Casey. Very small world. She spent her college time in Chicago at DePaul University. After college, she briefly went down the path of set designing, but quickly learned that it might not be where she wants to be long term. After working her first job out of college for a couple years, she decided that she was getting the itch to move and to try something new. She and her roommate, who is also in TV production, took the jump and made their way out to LA, where they both soon landed jobs. Today, Katrina is a producer for the Hallmark Channel's morning show, Home and Family, a morning talk show where they share recipes, crafts, home decor tips, and other fun lifestyle content. Please enjoy my conversation with Katrina Kuss. Katrina, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. How's it going? It's good. Honestly, I have very little complaints these days, which is fantastic, like place to be in in life. Yeah, totally agree with that. You are coming to us from, we're Zooming, of course, but you are in LA right now. Yes, technically LA, but like LA that everyone knows, I live south of that. So I'm in what they call the South Bay. So it's like beach town. Yep. I've actually been to your place. It is the cutest little place. And you guys are literally just a block from the beach. What's that like? Um, magical. It's magical. So, it's, I'm not even a beach person. Like I am a city girl for sure. But to be able to just like step outside your door and just see the ocean. And like, there is just this sense of calm that's always around. I mean, not on the weekends when it's like party time, but like, if you want to just like go on a walk in the morning, there is no better place to go on a walk in the morning and just barefoot on the ocean. Like I feel, I am so spoiled. Absolutely. Yeah. Spoiled. You guys have a beautiful setup. I really loved where you guys lived. And you guys, when I was there, we like walked to some amazing restaurant. Like everything was really, really walkable, really beautiful. It was just really, it's a great spot. Yeah. Everything is perfect. Here. And it, people know it too. Like they yeah. call it this up bubble because everything you need is like right here. You just need like the beach and each other and it's like a surf it's this mix of like surfer community and like old money hey it's not bad it's not bad there's lots of coffee shops and plant stores and swimsuit rental places around so what more could you need really absolutely all right so before we get into too much because we could talk about how amazing southern california is for a long time but i want to back up some and I want to start where I always start, which is where you grew up and what you were like as a child. So set, set the stage for us, young Katrina. Young Katrina, we are in Omaha, Nebraska, where her entire family has lived their whole life. Um, I was the, I think everyone would tell you that I was the bossy kid. Just like the one who was like, sorry, you can't play little ponies with us. We have too many people. Or like telling my brothers what to do or, you know, if we're having a fashion show with the cousins, I'm like setting the stage for everyone and telling people when to go out. Like I've always just been in charge and you know what? People have always just let me. So I can't say that's on me. But, you know, as you grow up, it just turns into leadership skills. So like, I mean, it works out. That's so true. Did you have older, like, did you have siblings that let you boss them around or what was that like? Yeah. So I had two older brothers. My oldest brother is like eight years older than me. So growing up, he didn't really want anything to do with me. Like that age gap's too big. Yeah. My middle brother is only two years above me and he is a total middle child, like kind of more quiet, a little more shy guy, you know, very just like go with the flow, which I took full advantage of. Cause it's like, if you're not going to have an opinion, then my opinion's now the strongest in the room. <laughs> I will have it. So yeah, he still lets me boss him around too. That's perfect. Really. It works out in his favor because he never has to make a decision. Hey, that's, kind of like, that's not bad some of the time. No, that's kind of like his jam. So. so Omaha, Nebraska, the Midwest, and you went to high school there and you actually went to high school with my husband, Casey. I did. It's so funny. We didn't really know each other. Like I knew who he was because on the baseball team, but like we didn't run in the same circle, but yeah, went to high Wait. school with 
I mean, you went to a big school, so it's not unusual that you didn't know each other. Like how big was your graduating class? We had, I think like six something. I feel like people think of Nebraska and they think like these little small towns, but we're from the biggest city in Nebraska and one of the biggest high schools. So yeah, it's not unusual. It's like know someone, but not like be their friend. Yeah. Definitely. And there's several schools just, and they're building another one. They're building like a, you went to Millard North, but they're building like a Millard East or something now or something. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. The whole area is exploding. It's just, it's getting even bigger. I feel like every time I go back, there's like a new cool area people are living in. Yeah. First it was downtown. Now it's midtown. And then there's like, oh gosh, I don't even remember what the new Dundee and then I mean, you're, you and I know each other through Alex. He was living in that other cool area that I don't remember that all those young people are in now. Yeah. I don't know what it is either. Oh, owl, owl bars over there, whatever that's yeah. called. And you mentioned Alex. He is Casey, my husband's best friend from childhood. He was the best man in our wedding. And he was on the podcast too. He really killed it. He did a great job in his episode. Everyone really loved. He's such a character. He's like the most charismatic person. He, he really say- is. I'd like sell a rock to a caveman. <laughs> no, you're, you're so right. But he was on and he did great. So it's nice to have, have you on to just have the whole Omaha connection here. I know how many more Omaha kids can you get? I don't know. Don't, don't tempt me. I might, I might just see who else we can get on here. Tell me some about college. What was college like for you? Where did you go? So I went to DePaul university in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. I was like, I need to go to a city school. Like I told my parents right away, like middle school, like I am going to a city. Um, When I was applying though, I thought I wanted to be a drama kid. Like I thought I wanted to major in theater. Yeah. Because I did all the school plays. I was like big on a speech team. And I am so glad I didn't get in anywhere. Really? (laughs) I would have hated it. Theater school is to be like a theater, to be like an actor in school, you have to be able to like not be self-conscious about anything, to give yourself freely and like do any weird things. I dated a guy who went to Carnegie Mellon's theater school and I remember him telling me about the class he did and he was very into it. And he was like, yeah, it was our movement class and I was red and he was blue and we moved together and we made purple. It was beautiful. (laughs) Like... I love this for you. Thank God I didn't get in anywhere. Yeah. So with the Paul, I knew like if I didn't get into their theater program, cause it was really, it was like already a stretch that that would happen. I knew that they let you defer and you could just, if you got in, you could still go to the school. Sure. Basically. So they ended up giving me, I had like a nice scholarship. It was in the middle of the city. I loved the campus. And I was like, this is my spot. So I went there and they had actually like a, a coming up film program. Ooh. And for me, I always knew like, if I can't be in front of the camera, like behind the camera somewhere is probably where I should be. Like, this is the only world I really know that I want to be in. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of joined that. And I... I don't know. It was a weird time. It wasn't, there were kids in film school that are so into film school. They are like on set every weekend. It's all they do. All their friends are film kids. They're just constantly like working with each other and collabing. And I just like wanted to be in college too. So I feel like I, you know, I studied abroad and did dance marathon. I got involved in like some other clubs. I like, made friends. Like none of my friends were film kids. Yeah. Like, one roommate one time. Yeah. And then, and then I stayed and worked in Chicago for a few years after that. And then eventually came out here to LA and I've been here for like two and a half, two years, just two years. I just did my two years. Did you like DePaul as a school? Because I have to tell you, my sister went to Marquette, uh, which is also a Jesuit, private mm-hmm. Jesuit school. And DePaul was always like, you know, because DePaul's in Chicago and Marquette's in Milwaukee. And there was always like this unspoken rivalry. They were both in the Big East Conference for like basketball. And they would always make jokes about DePaul, like the lesser Jesuit school to the South or whatever it was, they would say. Yeah. No, to- that's totally, they're one of our biggest rivalries. It's so funny because DePaul is technically the largest Catholic university, but it's such a commuter school that it doesn't have this like state, like it doesn't have like a college vibe a lot of the time. Like it feels kind of like a small school. Sure. 
probably because it's so nestled in the city, like the city really does become your campus. So, you know, I feel like going to DePaul, like I'm sure we had rivalries, but because only sport that really mattered at the time was basketball and I didn't watch basketball, like I hardly knew who was like, I don't know, who we hated. <laughs> that makes sense. But I mean, it was cool. I feel like I grew up really fast. So that's something that's really nice about that school is like it made me a better person and it yeah. made me grow up a lot quicker because they do really instill a lot of important values. Like they they really value diversity. They really ba- value like giving back. Like we're a Vincentian school. So it's all about like community service. And I think, you know, they really force that upon you in yeah. the best possible way. So whereas like if I went to state school, I probably would have, I mean, I still care about those issues, but they're just not as ingrained to you, ingrained yeah. in you the same way. So I think it definitely opened up my eyes very quickly to a lot of just like issues in the world and things that I should be caring about that are bigger than myself and things I didn't know were problems or things I didn't know I was saying that was incorrect for these reasons. And um, yeah, very good school for all of that, but not a great for partying. Yeah. Great for partying. I love that you said that. Um, I mean, I went to like a state school, uh, Wisconsin state school, and my sister went to a private school in the same city and whatnot. And they're both really large schools. Marquette's a big school. And then I went to UWM, which is a big school, but I very much felt like I was a number. And um, I felt like with Marquette, I got to see with her, I mean, she got a big scholarship to go there, much like yourself, because it's truly, I mean, ridiculously expensive. But I got to see like with her progression through school, um, it did, it seemed like they cared about her a lot. And granted, she was very smart. She was like the valedictorian. She got an academic scholarship. But even before that, it was like she was more than a number. And I don't know if that comes with paying a ridiculous amount for your (laughs) tuition, but I mean, I don't know. It's definitely something you hope comes. I think it's a Paul. It was when you're in like your program. So like in my film school, you would see the same teachers kind of over and over. And the more involved you get, like it was really nice for us. And I, I mean, I can only speak from like a film kid point of view, but you know, I took directing with Shana my freshman year and like, you know, kind of kept a rapport with her. And then when she, you know, had a, a movie, like a blue light, she was like, Hey, cat, like come work on this film. Or if you know anyone, you know, that does X, Y, and Z, like we're trying to crew up. And cause all the professors were working professionals and a lot of them do do their movies. They called it a blue light. So it's like, they pretty, they have like their department heads, but then they crew with the students. So it's like, you know, you're on a professor's good side, they'll tell you about their blue light in advance. You can kind of get in and then you get to work with them and they see you in this outside of the classroom kind of world, which is, I mean, a lot like the real world too. Like you can meet them on, you work with them, but like when you work with them on set, that's like when impressions are made and, you know, yeah, connections are built. So tell me about your first job after you graduated from DePaul. You said you stayed in Chicago for a couple of years. So what was your first job like? My, my very first big job was, gosh, the horrible time. <laughs> um, I say that with so much love because it was also such a great experience for me. So when I was finishing up school, I was kind of going down a production design track. Sure. And I kind of knew at the end that that probably wasn't for me. Like, I just didn't feel like enough of an artist. Like as much as I loved design and loved being the one making things look good, I just wasn't enough of an artist. And I just didn't know if my heart was in it fully. And I had a friend that put me up to do the production design for a small indie film, like an indie feature. So I think it was like a three month project. It was just a few months out of college. So I was like bartending on the side and then went and worked on this. And I think I lost 10 pounds working on it. Like it was just, it was so, I don't know if it's like, I didn't crew up enough, but since it was such low budget, it was such a small crew. And I had to take on so much more than I should have and more. And I think just like being so new and young and not having, you know, a great mentor in that program to kind of give me advice. I didn't realize like I shouldn't be in charge of X, Y, and Z. Like they need to staff up these people and that's not on me. That's on the production team, but it's like, it's your first job. And you're just like, I'll do anything and everything you need to make this happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was like just a really rough three months and 
I'm very thankful for it because I got done and I was like, yeah, you know what? I can say with complete certainty that I do not want to do this. But it's like, you know, you kind of, for me, it's like I have to achieve a high goal and then I'm like, all right, done. Like, what's the next thing? And, you know, being able to production design a feature film at 22 was like unreal. Like, who gets to do that? That is such a feat. And then I moved on. And then I, shortly after that, I got a job working at, called White House Post Production. Okay. And I started out as a runner there. I got the job through, I got the interview through my old roommate who had interned for them. Um, it's all about how you know. Yeah. And then um, I started out at the desk. I was a runner for like two weeks. That receptionist quit. What does runner I, mean? Just for anyone who doesn't oh, know. Sorry. Yes. That's um, a runner is like a production assistant. So okay. it's basically like the mule of the office. Like the mule. you're getting client food. You're taking packages to the post office. You're making sure everything's clean and in order. If a client needs help getting to their room, you're helping them to that. You're kind of just everybody's assistant. Bitch work. <laughs> like, but it's such a thing you have to do. Like if yeah. you're not a runner at a post house, you're a production assistant on a set or you're working as a, I don't know, receptionist at an advertising agency. It's just like the get your foot in the door prove you'll do the hard work. I mean, I always tell people like my, everything that your teachers tell you about getting a job is absolutely true. As much as you want to believe it, it's about who, you know, it's about luck and it's about hard work. Like you hit all three, you're going to get the job. But, and that's like, I knew my roommate who interned there. I got lucky because the receptionist, like a month into me as like a freelance runner quit and they needed someone. And then I was the only runner at the time that like wanted to do that job because everyone else wanted to be editors. And I wanted to be a producer. So they moved me up to that and then hard work. Like I didn't fuck up right away. So they kept me. <laughs> yeah, no, you're so right. And you talk about the first job that was really kind of a bad experience, but it was your first job out of college and you were just excited to do anything. I had a similar experience where I was eager and I just kind of threw myself into it. And I think at the time for me, and I would love to know your experience, but like, I didn't know how to advocate for myself either. And like what you were saying, how you were doing jobs where you probably shouldn't have been doing it and you should have had other people helping you. But you know, when you get out of college, you're just so happy to have anything. And you're just like, I'm getting paid to do this. It's pretty fun. But like, I don't know. I just felt like at that young age, like I knew the atmosphere was bad. I knew that it was toxic, but like, I didn't know how to advocate for myself necessarily. No, it's so hard. And I don't know if it's a woman thing, a generational thing. I still like feel like I'm still in positions where I can't, I almost like can't advocate for myself, you know, going into that, into all those jobs was just like, you need someone to do this. And if I don't do this, someone else is going to do this. Mm -hmm. So like, you just have to like decide to go in and suck it up. But it's for me, I don't, I mean, I don't even have a good example. I kind of have a good example of when I was able to like, finally be like, listen, I'm not doing this unless... (laughs) you give me that promotion kind of thing. Like for like White House, that first job, like I was definitely like ready for more responsibility. Like they saw it, they knew it, but like before the conversation even happened, the promotion happened. So it was like that one kind of wasn't, but then it was like the money talk. And then how do you have that? And like, why did no one teach me how to negotiate a salary? Seriously, A simple, like you don't have to accept it when they give it to you. Just that alone would have been good information to know. I was just like, oh, okay, you'll hire me. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of have to be like, you have to decide in yourself, like, what's worth it to you. But it took me until I was 26 to figure that out. Or it's like, yeah, you're not entitled for wanting more. You know, if you're working hard and giving it your all and getting good feedback and you know you're doing a good job because you can see like recorded evidence of it, it's not out of line to ask for more or to put up you know, boundaries, like I'll do this, but I can't do this unless you give me the promotion. I can't do this unless we talk salary negotiation. Like it's so hard for some reason to like learn that. No one ever taught me that. I think 
also too, as you're saying this, I see a lot, I've had a lot of the same feelings and I really think it's a, it's a woman thing. Like, you know, being in, uh, you know, the sports setting for me, it was like, I knew I was in the minority as a, as a female in a locker room or as a female at the sports desk. And it's like, I don't want to be the person who's like, my feelings are getting hurt or, you know, someone who's making a stink about something because they won't, you know, X, Y, Z, or someone who's like, well, I'm being treated different because I'm a woman. Like, yeah, of course I'm being treated different, but like, I don't want to be the person who was sitting there like complaining about it. So yeah, you like suck things up and you, again, it's like, I just, I think this is such a woman thing. And I know I've had this problem and hearing you say it, there's so many women where it's just like, they deserve more, but they don't, they feel bad for asking for more. It's just, yeah. Why do we feel bad for asking? I don't know. No man ever feels bad for asking for more. And also you're not going to get anything unless you ask. I'm like, why do I, the worst they're going to say is no. But like, why is it so hard for me to like at, say those words out loud? And like, I don't want like a bad impression. Like what's, who gives, who cares? They're going to get over it. You're going to get yeah. over it. Everyone's going to move on. Yeah. If they know you're money motivated, if they know you're, and this is like, you know, a lesson one of my kind of like mentors taught me, he was like, it's okay to let them know you're motivated by money. He was like, you're still doing good work for them. If I know you're motivated by money, then one day they might give you more money as motivation. Like mm-hmm. that's, it's a business. Everyone's here doing business. Yeah. No, so true. What made you decide that you wanted to go to LA? Because I mean, going from being a Midwest girl in Chicago, you're still in the Midwest, but I mean, that's a big jump to go, you know, to a larger city across the country, but like, that's the hub of, you know, entertainment and everything going on. What made you want that? It's so funny because we didn't want to move to LA. When I say we, I mean me and my roommate. So my roommate lives with me now, Shobana. We lived together in Chicago and she and I were both kind of just like ready for a change. Like she was, she hadn't been working at her old job, like her first job out of college also like not as great as it was set out to be. So when that ended, she was looking for work and I was kind of like, not loving being in post and not thinking that, you know, that's really what I wanted to do anymore. And so we were just ready for a change. And on a cold, very cold February day, she just looked at me and was like, do you want to move? And I was like, I was already thinking about moving. (sighs) Yeah. And we were just like, okay, first one to get a job wins. And we were looking all over. We were looking in Colorado. We like looked in North Carolina for a hot second looked in San Diego and San Francisco and in LA. And as the move out date from our apartment lease ending was getting closer and closer, we were not getting any job offers because we were still like, we were in that weird in between of being like new, like new workers, but not experienced enough that like someone wants you. Okay. Like who's going to hire kind of an entry level esque role from another state when they could just hire in state. So we were having a really hard time getting anything. And so as it got closer to the move in date, we were like, okay, where are our networks at? Like, where are we going to get a job if we move without a job? And so we just kind of were like, you know, all we got to go to LA, like her cousins out here. I've got connections out here. I have a few friends that moved out. Like DePaul's got a community out here. Yeah. Like we're both in the industry. So we're like, where else are we going to go? Let's just go to LA. And so we just like in like two months time, just like picked up and moved our whole life on a whim, which was crazy. And neither of my parents wanted me to do. And we did it anyway. And it all worked out super well. Yeah. I love that you guys were just like, we're a package deal. Like let's move. Like you didn't like, Oh, I think I'm going to do this on my own. You're both just like, so do you want to move? Like, yeah, let's go. Like, <laughs> funny because I I you know you've had friends that have like moved where friends live before and I'm always like that's such a dumb reason to move like you should move to a city you want to live in moving out with friends is so much more fun yeah and Shobes is like the best kind of roommate friend ever like she's very she's her not she's just like me but with all without all of my bad traits like (gasps) way more laid back (laughs) but also just as like go-getter type yeah it's like things need to get done. I've got a partner who's going to help me get things done. And yeah, it's been, it's been great. We've been on the same page, everything. And you know, things just kind of fell out into place. I had friends that were able to like road trip with me out here. When I got out here, I had a friend from college. I had like one class with him. 
He posted a job posting like on LA DePaul when I got here. It was just what I wanted to be doing. I reached out to him. And then within a week, like I had a job. Oh my gosh. Wow. Things that shouldn't have happened just kind of like like fell into place, lined up. It was, it was great. So only a week you had to wait. What about Chobes? Did she get one pretty soon or how long did it take her? Her story is even better because when she, she decided to come out here like three weeks, I think before we were moving, maybe like a month. And her cousin who was already living out here had decided she'd gone into grad school. So she was going to go back to school and she was working actually at a post, like a post company out here and was like, Hey, you should just take my job. They're about to start. So she like hooked her up with interview. She'll be blew them away and they hired her. So she had to come out a week earlier than me to start her job early. Wow. Yeah. See, that's all about who you know and luck. It truly is. Yeah. Gotta get all three. So was, I mean, were you in like a little bit of a culture shop? Have you, were you familiar with the West Coast or were you just like, I'm a Midwest girl, like out on the West Coast? Like, what was it like? It was exactly that. It's LA is everything. It's every stereotype that's out there is absolutely true. Like people are superficial as they seem, but it's because they're all like their own brands. So they yeah. kind of you know like it's it's who they are and it's as much of like you know there's those pockets of like stoner communities down in Venice and people are really beachy here and um things do take a little longer to get done because people do have this kind of like slower chiller way of life in a lot of ways um but the industry is is very cutthroat it's the same it's the same thing you know you and I experienced with our first job where it's like if I don't take this job someone else will so like yeah. I'll just do it and I'll put up with it. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't know, the environment that it is for better or for worse. It's just kind of like, I love LA and I think it's, it can be hard probably to live there. I've only ever visited for work stuff and whatnot, but I told my husband when I got back from my second trip, when I was just there in January, um, I'm like, it's one big trend. It's like one big, like hashtag, like trend, like everything everywhere. And part of me likes that. Cause it's fun. I mean, it's something new. There's, I like stuff like that, but there are parts of it that I thought were superficial, but the other vibe that I got as like an outsider, and you can tell me if you think this is true as someone who's lived there for a while, but it, like everyone there is like grinding for their dream, whatever that is. So if you're, it's to be a singer, to be on movies, if it's to be a director, a writer, like everyone, you don't live in LA just to like, f- like fucking like float by, like you live there to like chase your dream. Yeah. Oh, Oh, you're, you've got hit the nail on the head fully. Like it is, it's got so much beauty in it because it is the, the, there's always something new, you know, there's always something happening. It's always the first place to get something, the newest trend, the newest look. I mean, all the influencers are out here. So as soon as something is cool, you will know about it. There will be a pop-up like promoting it. Yeah. Concert to go to. And like, honestly, I think if you want to be like in that world, it's probably like really fun and definitely the place to be. Like you can always find a party. Not that I know, but I'm sure you can. Yeah. But it is like everyone is out. Everyone I know is out here working very hard, chasing a dream, wants to be a writer, wants to make a movie, you know, wants to have the next big business deal. Like it really is a place to make all that happen yeah. or vice versa live on the beach. But even those beach yeah. people are like have great careers. So I don't, yeah. I don't know how they did it, but good for them. Yeah. But it's totally, it's such a weird, weird place. I just tell everyone like any, every stereotype is true. Like all mm-hmm. of them, all of them true. It just depends on which area, which part of town you're in. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about that, what is, what is your like big dream in terms of like career wise? Like, what are you grinding after? Do you like what you're doing now? Or, you know, maybe you like what you're doing now, but like your big goal is to write a screenplay or, I mean, I don't know, but like, what is your be all end all? You're um, hitting me at a uh, quarter life crisis. Yeah. So I actually had a meeting with a career coach. Cause I was like, I don't know what's next for me. Like production is, great. It's all I've wanted. Like I am doing what I set out to do. 
and it's still challenging. It's still entertaining. I have such a great like crew of people that I get to work with every day and I can only speak like positive, wonderful things about them. At the same time, especially production and you understand it is a lot. It is nonstop hours. It is really hard work. It's emotionally, sometimes physically draining. Mm -hmm. So if your heart's not in it and you don't love it, it's just like, what are you doing? Like you could be making as much money, but have more free time or making less money, but be traveling. Like there's just so many other things you could be doing that you maybe like just as much, but maybe aren't as fun. Yeah. So I, mean, I was hitting this like moment of like, what's, what am I even doing here? And I met with this career coach and she was very lovely. And she, she, after kind of hearing everything, she was like, she was like, I think you need to dream again. She was like, you you are doing everything that 22 year old you set out to do like college Katrina would be so proud. Like you've achieved the goal. You just got there a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my God, I didn't even great problem to have. Honestly. Totally. And she was like, dream again. Do you want to travel the world? Do you want to go back to school? Do you want a new career, live a new life? Do you want to write a script? She was like, take a moment to like find a new dream. She's like, and dream it really big because the last time you had a really big dream, like you got it. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God, you're so wise. But instead I've been just like, I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't dreamt a new dream. Like I think maybe I'm going to be one of those people that instead of chasing this like beautiful career that I follow out the way to the end, like I'm just going to be living like multiple lives. Like now I'm a producer now, but maybe I'll be like, I don't know, a big shop businesswoman later, or maybe I'll just like sell cookies in a little cafe one day. Like I love to bake. Maybe I'll follow that dream for a minute. And you know, I don't, I don't know. I love that outlook though. I'm trying to keep it positive because, you know, as a a goal oriented human and as someone who's, you know, you paid all that money for private school to do this thing, to decide that you don't want to do it anymore. It's kind of like, Oh shit. Did I fuck up like eight years ago? Yeah think of the sets in your, but how do you know at 18, like what you really want? You don't. It's such a problem that we need to stop pressuring 17, 18 year old kids to know what they want to do when, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I didn't even know what I was going to have for lunch at that age. I mean, it's just, you know, no, I, I shouldn't have been allowed to make as mature as I thought I was at 18. I should not have been allowed to make life decisions. I thought I was the coolest shit. I just, course I pick film school are you kidding me that sounds way cooler than anything else <laughs> like of, co- of course yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna go to a city private school and do an arts degree my parents should stop me right there they should have been like okay but you're gonna minor in business <laughs> yeah exactly did um do you ever want to get back in front of the camera? I mean, did you ever want to be you know an actress? Did you ever want to be a host like me? Or what did your in front of the camera dreams ever come back? Or do you think they will? I think I miss it more than I would admit to most people. But I think being in LA, I I wouldn't out here because, like we've talked about, everyone out here is chasing that dream like you can't just casually act out here you can't do community theater so I think if I ever end up like maybe even back in Chicago or maybe if I'm living I don't know in a smaller town somewhere like I think I would like want to perform again just because it's so much fun and the sense of community from you know theaters and cast and crews is so great yeah but to pursue it is not something I think I'd be willing to do okay yeah Especially after seeing some other friends do it, I just, it's just more dedication than I'm willing to do. It's cutthroat. What you said is like not one of those things you can like half-ass. In fact, there's a lot of people who spend like their, you know, five, 10 years, their entire life, and they are just waiting for that shot. And they're like grinding every day and they're really talented, but they just haven't like gotten that shot. I know. And it's so unfortunate because if you, depending on like what the style is of the time also, especially for women is going to affect it. Like, you know, if having like tall, skinny blondes is in, well, you've got a competition now yeah. for all the lead roles, but it's like, you know, in 10 years time that might change. So it's yeah. all, 
No, you're so right. It's so, it can be so happenstance of what leads to success and, and what doesn't. And that's what makes it hard. And that's, you know, the industry is changing so much, even with what I'm doing and hosting. There are a lot of networks that are changing how they do things. There's so many other people who are creating their own content and doing it digitally, which is great to see. It's just, it's, it's changed a lot. And I know it's changed a lot for you recently because of what's going on. So tell us how you're producing remotely. And well, first, why don't you tell us what like a typical day pre-pandemic would would be like for you? Because that will help us get a feel for what you're doing differently now. Yes. Pre-pandemic. So I work in daytime television on a show called Home and Family. And so I'm what we call an open producer. So I write the first like 10 minutes of each hour, which is like, hi, welcome to Home and Family. Oh, we've got so much great show. Here's a little little fun banter. Now we're going to like open a mailbox wall and see who sent us a Hallmark card. And then we're going to do a pet adoption. That's like what I write. Um, And it's always with the hosts. It's always in their voice. And it's like straight script dialogue. So it's a lot. So I write it all the night before so that my executive producer can look over it. So we come in the morning, we kind of go over notes, change anything we need to do. And then earlier that morning, I'll go meet with the hosts and we'll kind of sit through and we go pretty much like line by line, all the beats that they want to change anything to make it more personalized kind of in their tone, or if they have a little bit of a, their own personal like story or banter, we'll add that in. Um, and then I go and I check, make sure all my photos are in. I make sure that hand cards for the hosts are written and prompter is ready to go. And then I kind of wait around until my segment tapes. I'll sit around and wait. During that time, you're obviously like working on your other segments, which is a lot of um, kind of like brainstorming fun ideas, sourcing good news stories, interviewing people. Different. That part's different every day. And then your segment's up. You watch a tape, make sure everything went well update any photos or any assets because we're live to tape. So we'll tape our show for the next day. So if something kind of goes wrong or like a photo didn't go in the right place, like you have time to kind of make those edits and fix it. So we do that. And then the show wraps, we have a post-show meeting. And then typically for me, because I was also doing a lot of promo writing for the show as well, sometimes I'd have to like stay for the pitch meeting for the following show kind of write my promos of like what's happening in the show just to kind of tease the show as it goes. Um, And then I do my long commute home back to the beautiful South Bay. And that would be my day. And then I'd be so tired that I can't even stay awake for whatever movie we watch at nine (laughs) o'clock. I don't blame you. I'm that way too. You turn it on and within five minutes, I'm like zonked. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I'm asleep like 30 minutes in. Yeah. So your show isn't live. You said live to tape. What does that mean for anyone who doesn't know? Live to tape is, so we tape it like it's live. So they kind of fumble over lines. If, you know, anything good or bad happens, like we're not going to stop and reset unless it's like something super major. Like we will try to tape in real time because for two hours of content, you can't like stop and start every little mistake or else you'll never tape your show. I mean, feature films are an hour and a half and those take sometimes a year to make. So two hour show when you only have one tape day, it's like, you just kind of got to keep rolling. But again, you have a little bit of time and edit to like fix any like minor things. Um, So that's live to tape. So now post pandemic, I'm doing almost all of that but from the comfort of my bedroom. Okay. Which ends up being almost more work in a way because you don't have this like face-to-face time with people. So I'll write my script. We've changed a little bit of the format. So I write my script two days in advance now to go over it with my executive producer the next day in the morning. And then we'll go over it with the host like in the middle of the day when they're not taping when they have a break for lunch, we'll go over it. And it's the same kind of thing, line by line, fix it up however they want. And then I'm kind of done for the day. I'm out there just like working on scripts, sourcing all that stuff for the rest of the day. And then the next day is when we tape my segment. Okay. So it feels like there's more downtime, but because everyone is in different places, like I can only communicate by email and phone. So it's like anytime you need something done or help with something, you have to call someone. Yeah. Help set or they have to send an email to check with someone else or it's like you've got one assistant that's doing something for everybody and so it's just kind of like a lot of just staring at your computer all day yeah. and you kind of 
miss the like fun camaraderie of like being on a set. You know, a lot of shitty stuff happens and a lot of great stuff happens, but either way we used to get to like go to the trailer and bitch about it or celebrate our small wins or like, you know, pet the cute dogs that come to set. And now it's like, I just like, that's really good, Katrina. Like, yeah, um, you did such a nice job. Really proud of that segment. Yeah, cool. Me too. Me too. So it's so it's strange. I did not expect it to be as hard as it is. Cause I was like, yeah, whatever. You just like write and turn in your stuff, and like I can do everything remotely. But now I'm like, no, no, no. It's just we can do it, and we're doing it, and we're making good TV. Like the quality of our show has not gone down at all, which is like amazing. Cause I mean, so many people that had to go remote, I just think like the quality's just gone to shit. Like everyone's seeing people's like ugly Zoom backgrounds and like audio cuts in and out. Like we're really lucky that we did take such a long break so that we could come back and do the show just as we had done before, but just like a little more distance in between people. Yeah. So I'm really proud of everyone. And people have been pretty good about, you know, taking things with a grain of salt like everything is constantly changing we're pretty much had to like relearn how to do the show in a whole new way yeah so it's, it was a huge undertaking and I'm really proud of everybody but it is I'm ready to go back yeah be in person again I have to keep reminding myself during this time, whether it's like I'm waiting extra long for whatever it is, my coffee through the drive-thru or I'm doing this or whatever it is. Like I have to remind myself, like everyone's doing the best they can right now. And I truly believe that. And I honestly feel like I should even regardless of if we're in a pandemic, I should, that's pretty much the truth universally that people are like doing the best they can. And maybe someone's having a bad day, but like in the moment, most people are doing the best they can. And it's like compassion, just practice it. <laughs> yeah. That's such a beautiful thing to think about. It's, it's nice that, you know, during this time you were able to come through it with like that positive outlook. Cause there's so many people. And I don't know if it's like, you know, you're in the Midwest Midwest people are so kind, just like, I'm so glad I was raised there. Cause it definitely teaches you just to be like a little bit nicer. Yeah. Uh, but out here, I had my first Karen moment. Cause I'm like you, I'm like, everyone's just out here. Like, doing the best they can. And it's like, you know, a store opens up and they're going to have rules they got to follow because if they don't follow these rules and they get shut down and these people can't work and they don't get paid. Yeah. Like everyone is doing the best they can, but was at a Starbucks in the South Bay, Richie Richland. And this woman had ordered something and just like, it was just taking so long and she was just getting more and more angry because of I don't know. Her car was parked somewhere. It's not supposed to be. I don't even know what the problem was. She was just getting so angry at these people that she wasn't able to get her coffee. And they finally, the manager had to come out and like give her the drink. She was, and oh, it was a, apparently at Starbucks, if you order because of like the to-go process they had to start doing, if you ordered a coffee, they automatically gave you a second one because they used to do refill, but they can't do refills. So she's like, well, I asked for the refill. And he was like, like, ma'am, like we don't do that here. Like that's not something that our, our building is doing like I don't I don't know what to tell you and it was like this young like teenager guy like he was so young he's just like, doing his best and she was getting more and more mad eventually the manager just came out with like the extra coffee and was like it's fine don't worry about it like here's the other coffee you wanted it's okay and so then she tried to pay and she only had her phone app with her or no she only had a credit card with her and the woman was like I can't I I can't take your credit card it was either a credit card or the phone there was something where she wasn't able to take that inside to scan it because of whatever like protocols they had. Yeah. And the woman was just like so furious and just like threw such a tantrum and like stormed off. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, lady, like everyone, this doesn't turn out to be that good of a story, but like seeing it was one of those things where it's just like nine in the morning. It's this beautiful day. Yeah. The beach. Like you can see the ocean from where we're standing and you're, livid at this like young 19 year old who's just trying to get you a minimum wage by the way probably <laughs> totally. he's just trying not to get breathed on you and then like I don't know afford gas for his car yeah and you're just like making everything horrible it's just like you make yourself have a bad day when you do stuff like that yeah be that's kind a- passion have some patience that's such a good example honestly 
And it's, it's like, everyone has bad days. I have to remind myself of that all the time, but it's one of those things where you just have to step outside yourself and be like, what's really the problem here? Is it the situation that's going on around me? Or is it like my interpretation of the situation that's going on around me? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like nine times out of 10, you'll be like, all right, I'm being a bitch. Like I'm being a bitch <laughs> right now. Huh? Aren't I? Right. Yeah. So tell me some, you know, if you had advice to maybe if it's younger Katrina or someone who's in college now and wants to do what you do or wants to move out to LA, what, like, what's your advice to someone who wants to be in this industry, whether it's behind the camera or in front of the camera? Gosh. Um, if you want to move to LA, my advice is like save $10,000. Just if you're going to need it, just save that money. Um, to be in front or behind, I think, in our industry, again, it's kind of all about who you know, but it's not just like, oh yeah, I know like my dad's best friend from college works out there. It needs to be like, I mean, that's helpful, but working with people as much as you can is what's going to get you, even if it's just as their PA, because if you're a PA for them and you do an outstanding job, they're going to bring you on again. And then when they need someone to fill in for the line producer, not the line producer, but you know, one of the coordinators, cause they're sick, they'll bring you up because they know you and they trust you. So it's, it is a lot of take all the jobs you can do the favors you can, and just like work as hard as you can. And that for me has always gotten me the furthest is just like doing my best for people who are in like, this weird world I'm in some of the best advice I was ever given when I was kind of going through college was actually for like from the first boss that I ever really admired. And it was when I was working in the study abroad office through college and shout out to Marty McGivern. Love you. She was one of those women that kind of like, didn't really know what she wanted to do and kind of lived a bunch of different lives. Like she lived in South America for a bit. She was a teacher for a bit, you know, and then she eventually found her way into like the study abroad world and runs the study abroad office at DePaul now. But she was like, every job I had led me here. She was like, I never worried about my, where my career was going. I did things that seemed interesting. That seemed challenging. That was something like I could put a little bit of heart into and eventually they've all led me to like the next cool job and the next cool thing or the next cool place or meeting this awesome person. She was like, and they've all just like led me to this great path now. But like, you know, it's just, you know, not important not to worry along the way, as long as you're, you can earn a living, give something your heart, work hard at it. It's eventually going to lead you. And I want to believe this for myself too, to something awesome. Yeah. That's amazing advice. I couldn't agree more. It's like, you need to take all those little steps because without one of them, you're, it's not going to get you to that next big place where you want to go. And as you said, like with a career, I think in TV or a, a lot of careers, it's like, you never know when your, your break is going to come, whether you're like you said, behind the camera producing and someone sees your stuff and just loves what you're doing, loves your scripts, loves what you're writing, loves what you can evoke or whether you're acting and trying to just, you know, get your first role or whatever it is like you, you just don't know. So you just have to keep doing shit until it comes along. A story I hear from a lot of people too, that are more big time than me is they all had these moments of being reminded to be humble. And I know it's something we kind of hear a lot, but in our industry, you know, you could fall from grace at any moment. You know, you could be an executive producer of a show and it doesn't get picked up. And it's like, there's not a lot of jobs for executive producers out there. Yeah. So you might have to go be a producer somewhere. You might have to go help out a friend on their indie film somewhere. And I know a few people that were just like reminded, like, you know, you move to a new place or your show ends. Like sometimes you just have to take a job that's not like as glamorous as you'd want or up to, you know, your resume, but you're helping out a friend or you're, you know, doing something to get your foot in the door somewhere else. And it's just important to not look down on those jobs and, be reminded that, you know, it's just important to stay humble and work your way up. Like everyone is, everyone is going to be someone like in these roles, your PA might be running a show one day Yeah, because everyone out here is grinding so hard. Yeah. Just again, just waiting for their big break. All you have to do, all you have to do is <laughs> write one killer script, yeah. you know, and now you can direct that script. Now you can, you know, create a contract that gives you lots of control over it and your hiring crew. Like you just have to 
don't know. Stay humble, work hard. What be a Midwesterner? Be nice to people. It's so funny you say you only need that one script or whatever, because it makes me think of what's her name? Harper Lee. She wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. That was the only book she ever wrote. Was oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, after she she allegedly wrote another you know manuscript and never put it out. And then I, this happened with her next book that this came out maybe like two years ago. Um, she was not of sound mind and someone in her family like got her to sign away the rights basically to this book and they produced it and they put it out. What's that? I can't think of the second book. I forgot what it's called. But up until that point, yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird was the only book she, she ever wrote. But like it was enough to like... She, you know what I mean? Like it was enough of a big hit. She didn't need anything else. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But like I say that, like it's easy just to write one killer script. <laughs> you never know. You just, that's the thing. You, you never know. You, and some of the things like they don't take off and some of these things are cult classics that don't, aren't the greatest when, I mean, who would have thought that friends would live on in infamy like it has for so long or like Seinfeld or all these other random shit, you know? It's true. I mean, so, I mean, think of like those crazy indie films. Like, no, I still think like Napoleon Dynamite is like the epitome of yes. Like, became this insane cult classic that like people still do the dance from, people still dress up from. It's just like. And you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known. It probably took more time at the time. It wasn't as big, but then as years have gone on, it's like gets more popular as years go on. It's, it's crazy though. Writing screenplays, people like the first feature that I worked on that what the person was working on writing that for like, I don't know, like three to five years. It was just like passion project that was like brewing in them. Like as a, you know, as artists have, you know, these like big emotional things they have to yeah. get off the test. Yeah. The film industry is crazy. It's, it really is. And it's such a crazy blend of personalities too, because you've got the producers that are behind the scenes that were like money details schedules and we're gonna make this happen for you and then you have like those creatives who are writing and directing that just like feel things so deeply and they're like red and blue and we made purple (laughs) exactly and somehow it all comes together and makes this just crazy crazy industry yeah enough of and have needed now more than ever That was producer and creative Katrina Kuss. For more inspiring interviews with people like Katrina, head on over to carriegillespie.com slash podcast. If you love today's show, then come on back on Friday where I'll be dishing out a brand new episode of Pop Culture Friday. I drop all the tea on the top five pop culture stories of the week that you need to know about. Before you leave, make sure you subscribe to the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it to your stories. Make sure you tag me. I am at Carrie.Gillespie. And the show is at Candidly Speaking Podcast. Tell a friend, tell a stranger, tell your dog, tell your Uber driver, tell everyone. Last but certainly not least, leave us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and write a review about how I'm your internet bestie and you love hanging out with me every week. That's going to do it for this interview episode. I will see you guys on Friday. Thank you so much for being here and have a great week.